Welcome back to Hitchcock Chronologically. I'm your host, my name's Jeff, and I'm slowly descending into madness watching silent films. What a great day today is going to be. Ah, I just watched Downhill by Alfred Hitchcock. It came out in 1927. And it was also, it's credited on IMDb as When Boys Leave Home. I don't know why it's credited on IMDb as When Boys Leave Home, but on the movie I watched, it's just called Downhill. On on the title screen and the, the end credits, it just says Downhill, the end. Once again, this is the podcast where I go through Hitchcock movies chronologically. And I got to say, I'm really ready to find my way out of the silent era. I hope that's not a spoiler, because I'll be honest, this is the first of the movies I've watched for this show where I truly did not enjoy it. Uh, not to say there weren't parts that need to be discussed, because it's definitely the case. But man, did this feel like. It dragged on. So Downhill stars Ivor Novello as Roddy Berwick. Now, Ivor was uh, the lead role in The Lodger, the last movie I reviewed. Uh, and it stars uh, some other people uh, you've never heard of, like Sybil Rhoda, Annette something, Annette Benson, Ben Webster. Norman, Norman McKennell. So let's, let's get this over with. Let's get into this. I'm having to mentally prepare myself to recap this movie. And I think I may be overselling its badness. It's not really bad. It's just like lacking in the sensibilities of modern film. And that's not just because it's a silent movie. This thing, it okay, it runs for like an hour and a half. 74 minutes, according to IMDb. It feels longer. I swear it was longer. How long was the video I watched? Did they slow my video down? Hold on, let me check YouTube. Yeah, they must have. Hour 41 on the movie I watched. So they had bonus features or scenes in my movie that. All right, let's start this off. So we start off at a school and it's like a college and there's a football game. And Roddy is again played by Ivor. He's our lead and he's the big football star. He's got um, a friend who uh, his name is Tim. Anyway, he's got a friend named Tim. And he's got a friend named Tim, and they, I don't see him being credited in the IMDb, uh, who is working on getting a, a scholarship, or he has a scholarship, or something like that. And uh, he's friends, again, with Roddy, and he gets slipped a note from this girl at school that she will be alone at this business, like a bakery or whatever at a certain time, you know, because she wants to fool around with Tim. 
Uh, she later bumps into Roddy. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so Tim is hyped for this, understandably so, and he has to bring a wingman. He's not ready to go it alone, so he brings Roddy to the bakery, and uh, she closes up shop, moves them both to the back, throws on a record. Uh, you can't tell what's playing because, again, it's a silent movie, so there's a piano score throughout the whole film. And she uh, wants to start dancing with Tim and Tim. I get, he's just, okay, I get this. All right. I'm not much of a dancer myself. And I, he just kind of, he doesn't want to dance. He pushes her off to Roddy. Who's like, fine, let's dance. She pulls Roddy into the back room. and is like trying to force herself on him. And he's like, nah, this ain't for me. He's not having it. It's just like, this is too quick for him. So they go back into the room where Tim is sitting now depressed and he, he gets mad at Roddy. And so the next song starts and Roddy's like, okay, lady, you go dance with Tim because he's down to pound and Tim and her, they dance horribly. We are once again back at white people dancing. This it's some of the worst dancing you'll ever see. There's a lot of worse in this movie. Uh, so the dancing is not great. Uh, and not only is the dancing bad, but Tim is bad at dancing badly. He's real bad and he steps on her toes. It makes her angry anyway. So Roddy's like trying to get out of the way. He's not trying to be in the business. He wants to let them do whatever it is they want to do. He goes to the front of the store and people start coming in. These kids come in to buy stuff, some sort of, so some sort of transaction happens where he messes up the till somehow Roddy does. And uh, obviously it's, um, uh, this, what's her name? Hold on. Let me, let me find the character's name. I believe the character is Mabel. And it does, it seems to me that this is Mabel's responsibility. So the till not being correct would fall on her. She doesn't want to lose her job or whatever. Roddy pulls money out of his own pocket, gives it to her just to correct whatever issue he's created with the money in the drawer. They leave and Roddy, she kind of gets, pulls Roddy aside because really she's not that interested in Tim from the body language. She really wants Roddy. And she points at the sign that says, Wednesdays we close at one, as if to say, come back here Wednesday on one. Now, the next scene so one theme that's going to be throughout this entire episode is that this is the first of these silent movies that I've watched where I feel like we needed more dialogue. I needed more text on screen. I needed to be handheld a little bit more as to what exactly was happening. Uh, and I'm going to get into what exactly the big, big piece of the picture that's missing. But we go back, I guess they're like dorm mates, uh, Roddy and Tim and, Tim sees on this box from the bakery that it closes at 10 on Wednesday. And for some reason, I don't know why, but it pisses him off for no reason that I can tell. And Roddy can tell sums up, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So there's a guy that comes and he says, Hey, you need to go to the headmaster's office. So this guy, the headmaster looks like, Peter Cushing's granddad. If you don't know who Peter Cushing is, he was in Star Wars and various Dracula movies. Uh, look him up. He's great. But this guy 
looks like Peter Cushion's granddad. And uh, he says that some serious accusations have been leveled against these two boys, Tim and Roddy. And uh, Mabel is in the room in the headmaster's office with them. And the headmaster asks, which of these two did what you're accusing them of? And she points out Roddy. And Roddy's like, what, really? He starts to laugh at first, but then he realizes everyone's serious. So this is the big. Let's finish the scene. And then I'll get into the plot. But basically, you're never told what exactly they're being accused of. She starts to tell the headmaster what she's accusing him of and they play flashbacks from what we saw earlier where in my opinion i didn't see anybody really do anything wrong uh mabel was the aggressor in the situation she was the one pushing for uh kissing the boys and all this stuff so i didn't see anything that looked like assault But that's the only thing I can imagine that that she's blaming these boys for. But anyway, she points out Roddy. The headmaster tells Tim he can go and Roddy gets expelled. And he can no longer play in the football game, which they're playing at the beginning of the movie. There's a, a, a football game. It looks like rugby to me. I honestly don't know. It's some sort of football. And... Uh, he can no longer play on the team. He's out of school. He goes uh, to clean up his stuff and him and Tim made a pack. So this is where I really get confused because this pack packed P A C T. They make a pact. This pact is the part of the movie that makes no sense to me. I don't get it because the movie doesn't give you enough information. We don't know what she's accusing them of. I did not see either Tim or Roddy do anything wrong in this movie at at the with this what happened at the store at all. It all seemed to be consensual. And if anyone was physically uncomfortable, it was Roddy. So they make a pact. I don't get it. Like so. It sounds like the way this next scene plays out that Roddy is covering for Tim on something because Tim says he didn't speak up because he didn't want to lose his scholarship and his dad would be heartbroken. And Roddy's like, yeah, that's why I was quiet about it. So apparently there's a secret there. We don't know what it is. And if Tim actually did something wrong, why is Mabel blaming Roddy. Now you find out that Roddy is rich or his parents are rich and that maybe she's trying to get some money out of him. And I think that's more what it is. I think that Mabel is definitely trying to blackmail or force him into paying something or, but she never asked for, I don't know. There's a lot of talking on screen, but none of it gets translated to you with those black still frames with the words on it. Very, very little to read, which usually on the previous two movies is a, is a positive. It's something I always say is a positive 
because they do a great job of conveying the story with uh, body language and only when they need to do they put in the text. They got way too sparse on this one. I need a lot more information than they provided because I'm confused at this point. I don't know why they needed to make a pact to keep some sort of secret that this secret that they're keeping creates all of the things, all of the problems that are going to happen to Roddy through the rest of this movie. This is the beginning, the antithesis, the catalyst, whatever. Roddy gets home and his, his dad notices that, hey, you're home a week early. Your term isn't over yet. What are you doing here? He explains to his dad that he's been expelled and he's been blamed for something. Again, we don't get told what, but his father does. His dad then refers to him, uh, refers to Roddy as, and this is one of the few times you get a screen of words, and it's one word, liar, with an exclamation point. Calls him a liar. This makes Roddy so mad to be called a liar that he leaves the house. He moves out. And he gets on a train and he, he, or he gets on a train and he goes somewhere else. I don't really know where, but far enough away because, um, well, you'll see. And you cut to a stage show. So this is three movies now with three stage shows. Okay. And that lost movie that I keep talking about a second movie probably had a stage show in it. I don't know. I can't prove it, but right now we're batting a thousand. He is like an extra on the stage show. He takes, there's like the lead actress. He takes, she has her uh, cigarette case on a table that's on the set. He takes it and pockets it. This allows him to go backstage under the pretense of, hey, you forgot to pick up your, your cigarette case. And they start flirting. And there's this older guy in the room backstage where she is. And... Again, here's another point where the movie is not clear. Who is this guy? Is this her boyfriend? He's old enough to be her dad. At least that's what it looks like to me. She'll, but the reason I don't think that they're any sort of couple, this older guy and the, the lead actress, is because they, there's no physical kissing or touching or anything that would clue you in to that they're a couple. There's a line later where he's like, oh, you bought another fur coat. Are you trying to break me? But that could be something a dad would say. But it could also be something that a boyfriend would say. And apparently Roddy's not aware either that this may be a couple because he flirts with her right in front of this old dude a lot. Well, Roddy, having been kicked again, his his dad is rich. Roddy's dad. Having been kicked out, working as a extra on a stage show, just trying to make ends meet, he's in a little dumpy apartment, gets a letter in the mail that says he's inherited 30,000 pounds. I don't know what that is in today money, but apparently he's rich at this point because the next thing you see, he's in a suit. He's back flirting with that lead actress again, but now she's found out he has 30K and now she's all about it. Okay. And you go to this guy, that old guy still in the room, and he hands him the bills that he has yet to pay that are expenses for this lead actress. 
I, I, I don't know if I said that right, but basically she's driven this old dude into debt. And now that he, the Roddy, is sort of taking over the dating responsibilities because, uh, spoilers, we find out that this old dude is actually one of her boyfriends. Now that Roddy's taken over dating duties, he also gets the bills, apparently. I don't know how that works, but they do. So there's a cut to a newspaper clipping. The couple, they're married, Roddy and this actress, and they cut to their their house. And she is in a new house. It's like a mansion. That's how rich Roddy is. But I think they call it an apartment at one point. So they're in this apartment. And it's just her. And this old dude is back. Okay. So in, in, in me watching the movie until this point, I have not realized that he's anything that, that may be her dad. Well, in this scene, that gets pretty much cleared up because Roddy comes home and she dumps this old dude in the closet to hide him from Roddy. And you wouldn't do that if it were her dad. I wouldn't see a reason to. She goes out, talks to Roddy, blah, blah, blah. Roddy notices that. Okay. First off, Roddy has a a, a notice from the bank saying that the account's overdrawn. So, They've already blown through this 30,000 pounds, which in 1920s money is a lot of money. Enough to get a really fancy apartment. But now they're, now they're out of money. And while he's discussing this with her, he finds old dude's hat. And he's like, what is happening? He recognizes the hat. He goes into the bedroom, finds the dude in the closet. They get in. The most hilarious fight I've ever seen. I could not tell if old dude and Roddy were making out or actually fighting. I could not tell. Eventually, Roddy knocks this old guy out. He goes up to the lead actress and says, hey, get out of my house. This is when she informs him, actually, my name's on the lease. You get out of my house. So now Roddy is broke. And homeless again. Real quick. I don't know how. There's no indication of how much time has passed in this movie. But apparently some time has passed. And we get another scene. We cut to another scene. And Roddy is. There's like a dance going on. And Roddy is dancing with women. But he's almost like a gigolo now. Because there's this old madam going to these women who are sitting on their own and, and charging them to dance with Roddy. Because Roddy, I guess, in 1920s, is a good looking dude. And the ladies want to dance with him, so they're willing to pay cash. So there's this woman that is taller than Roddy, has big arms and a mustache. And I'm not even kidding. She has a mustache. This is a big woman. Not fat. Just big. And she goes up to the madame. Or the madame comes to her. And is she's clearly eyeballing Roddy. It's like, what's up with that? She's like, five francs for a dance. 10, 20, 50. Whatever the lingo is. For what is on the table here. They don't ever say that there's anything other than, but you get the idea that 
This is close. He's a gigolo. He's a gigolo at this point. So, of course, he owes. So he owes this madam money. So any money that he makes goes directly to her anyway. And so he's sitting down with this woman who does. In my. Okay. I'm looking at this through the 2021 lens. And she's not what I would consider traditionally attractive. But she's trying to put the moves on Roddy. She's paid her dollar, and now it's time for him to put out. In this party, some old dude starts choking. And they a couple, like two or three dudes, run over to him and are trying to help him. But they help him by punching him somehow, or that's what it looks like. And I had to ask Google. I said, hey. When was the Heimlich maneuver invented? 1974. So before 1974, if you choked, a couple old dudes would come by, punch you a little bit, and then they would pull you out of the restaurant. That's what happens here. Okay. And other than the two people that run up to punch the old guy that's choking, nobody in this restaurant or wherever this is, this ballroom seems to care. They're not really worried about this guy that's choking. And right when he choked, it was like water. He's like choking on water. Anyway, he's dead now. And so Roddy, it keeps getting these advances. And I think that at this point, he's like, you know what? I'm not comfortable to being a gigolo. I can't do it. I'm not a gigolo. That's not my style. And this woman could beat me up. So he leaves. He's no longer in the employee of this madam. Now he's got no money. He's homeless. And he's like, so we cut a little later and you see him. He's laying down and he's having like delusions, like visions. Delirium is what the film describes it as. And he's got some neighbor neighbors, these three neighbors. And they hear him whining next door. So they go over to get him and. At first, maybe not at first, but they're trying to be kind, I think. They're definitely being kind. I don't know why I'm saying trying. I'm not trying to call their motivations in doubt, but they're trying to be kind. They feed him a little food and they find on his person a letter addressed to Tim uh, back in London. You remember Tim? He's the his best friend who made this pact that makes no sense with Roddy. But they made it and I'll be darned if Roddy's going to take it to the grave because that's what this note says. It says, hey, and I'm paraphrasing. Hey, Tim, if you're getting this, I'm dead. I just want to let you know I kept our pack. Packed. Packed. I kept our pact. This trio of neighbors sees this note and is like, oh, he's from London. So while, while Roddy's in the state of delirium, they take him and they just throw him on a boat back to London. They don't ask him. And even if they did ask him, he's not in the state. He's not in his right mind. He's literally seeing visions and he spends some time on this boat. I believe it's several days, five days. I believe the movie says of delirium. And he sees pictures of his father. He sees pictures of all the women who've who've scorned him from the woman who originally accused him of this, his ex-wife, the the madam, this 
woman who was in the NFL. And so he has delete visions for like a solid five minutes of this movie. But then he ends up on shore in London and the way he gets out of this boat is like he stowed away almost, but he didn't because there was someone, there was like a dude that was nearby helping him while he was sleeping and, and seeing visions. But he's back in London. He gets off the boat, goes right to his pop's house. This is uh, butler answers the door, brings him in, gives him something to drink, sits him down in front of the fire. And while Roddy is cooling his hands on his fire, his mom and his dad come home. His mom goes upstairs. His dad goes into this den area where Roddy is sitting. And Roddy doesn't know how this is going to go because when he last saw his dad, he called him a liar and Roddy ran away. He says, hey, dad, I'm back. And his dad hugs him and says, I, I've, I've been told the whole story or not told the whole story, but he knows everything, quote unquote. And he asks for his son forgiveness. His son forgives him. And uh, his mom comes downstairs and they're happy to see each other and they're hugging and everything has worked out now for Roddy. Other than he so they cut back. So the end of the movie starts like the beginning of the movie with the scene from a football game. I believe he's back in college now because his name has been cleared. And he's playing for the football team again. I don't know how much time has passed, but there was enough time for him to go somewhere else, get married and divorced, become a gigolo, go crazy, get on a boat back home. So however long that takes, that's what's happened. And now he's back in college playing football. I believe that's what the film is trying to say without any words. This is easily of the three movies I've watched, the one I enjoyed the least. And it's not horrible. And honestly, all it really needed was a little more clarity on what was this pact? What exactly was the secret they were keeping? And what exactly were they accused of? I, I don't know. I don't know. So on my rating system of thumbs up and thumbs down, this gets a thumbs down. You can skip this one. Only if you like me and you are going to try to be a completionist, do you really need to see it? There's... There's a huge, like, I kind of wrapped it up here in 30 minutes, and I didn't leave much out. This movie feels like it's 30 minutes too long. Like I said, the IMDb says 74 minutes. And the YouTube video that has the movie is an hour 41. Now, I'm no botanist, but that's more than 74 minutes. So maybe, again, there were some extra scenes that didn't need to be there, but it was so long, and there was like a lull in the middle that just did me in. I I couldn't wait for it to be over. Now, I've got more silent films to get through. Yippee. And the next movie I have to uh, uh, watch, that was another silent film, also released in 1927, is called Easy Virtue. Now, I don't believe any of the same actors are back for this one. I think maybe this is the last time we see Ivor Maybe not. I don't know. I didn't look that far ahead. But here's hoping that tomorrow is a brighter day. I want to thank you for listening to Hitchcock Chronologically. I'll be back next week with another episode. And we'll edge closer and closer to getting out of this silent era.